you know, values are like the heavy lifting. You don't just go straight for those big weights. So I like mm. to do some warming up, some limbering up, as it were, with questions like, who are your role models? You know, who are the people that inspire you? What are some of the peak moments in your life and what makes them peak moments? You know, and these kind of examples to kind of get us like thinking, get the juices flowing about who we are, what matters to us. The world around us is changing faster than ever. We hear people say, everything's a blur. And when we're living in our little self, a self in survival mode, a self that's living out what others believe we should do or who we should be, we compromise our joy. We put limits on ourselves and how we show up day in and day out. We believe we all have a big self and pursuing it is holy work. We also believe that most of us let fear persuade us not to pay attention to it. So we stay in this vicious cycle between fear and entrapment that keeps us playing small. But when we combine an insatiable curiosity to know our true self with the courage to share our innate gifts with the world, we get closer and closer to our big self. Sally Clark is an author, speaker, researcher, and burnout expert, and co-director at Human Leaders. A former finance lawyer, she works with leaders and organizations around the globe to embed well-being at work so people and business thrive. Sally's latest book, Relight Your Spark, guides individuals on how to heal and evolve after burnout. It's a practical guide. It's affordably priced. And it also details her personal journey with burnout. Like so many of us, she bought into the belief that if you make it to a prestigious workplace and you just grind hard enough, long enough, you'll somehow make it to the other side, a fulfilled and joy-filled person. And it's amazing how often we hear the accounts of this illusion and how it doesn't turn out the way we believe believe it will, but we continually and repeatedly keep living it out, almost as if we just don't know what else or how else to live what we think of as a successful life. You can find out more about Sally in and her work in our show notes. As we typically do, we have an unscripted conversation. I think you'll love the wisdom and ideas we hit on in these next 30 minutes. Sally Clark, welcome to The Big Self Show. Such a pleasure to be here with you, Chad. Thanks for having me. Well, it's great to have you here. I'm really looking forward to our conversation here. And, you know, first, let's start with a question that we like to ask all our guests. And that's what does big self mean to you? But in context of our conversation here on burnout, Parker Palmer defines burnout and I don't know if you've you've heard of Parker Palmer he's uh in a, he's in his 80s now he's uh, an American Quaker uh and he defines burnout as trying to give what we don't have to give mm. and so is you know in our estimation relying on our small self the unconscious operations of the ego to push us through life do, you know, and, and I was thinking, 
do the wisest among us, like when, you know, do we retreat into hermitages and whisper farewell to the world when we decide to do inner work? So I'm curious in your interpretation, Sally, what is the big self and what is the little self? It's such a fascinating question, Tad, and I have like a, a multitude of sort of different things that come to mind, but I want to share the first one that did, um, which feels a bit vulnerable, but I'm going to go for it. Okay. Um, you know, my sister trained in psychology a long time ago, and I remember her talking about the idea of the bigger self, i.e. the kind of the adult in us. And by adult, I mean, not just someone who happens to be of a particular age, but the more evolved and wise part of ourselves. I think, you know, Tara Brock would describe that as our future self. Um, and so it's really that more, I wouldn't, you know, wouldn't say fully enlightened, but someone who's someone sort of further along the path, who sees things clearly, who has a more, I think, um, embedded sense of self-compassion, wisdom, different perspective, um, and that is able to make healthier, better decisions as a result. And I guess in contrast, the small self, and I've certainly been caught in that, I mean, you know, for a long time at, uh, earlier in my career, but even to this day, sometimes for snippets of time, is when I'm trapped in ego, when I'm trying to please others, when my motivation is not intrinsic, it's extrinsic, um, and when I'm really living in accordance with values that are not mine, that are kind of those which are perhaps dictated by society, by tradition, by my parents or peers. And it's that misalignment, I think, that that can sort of shift me into, into small self-behavior. Oh, I love that. That's a great contribution to the evolution of our idea of thinking of what big self is. Um, you know, on your uh, website, you have a number of wonderful resources and one of them is a very recent state of the workplace of burnout in 2023. Uh, and, you know, you, there are a number of key findings, but overall, one of the key findings is that uh, burnout is on the rise and well-being continues to fall. Yeah. You know, and so, uh, and I kind of, I mean, for we're hearing so much about burnout. I guess maybe it's because I'm in these these circles thinking about it. But you would think with all of the information at our fingertips, having been through the, the pandemic, that for all that we're probably hearing about burnout, like it's still on the rise. So what Sally, well, what do you what do you think about these key findings about burnout in our society today? And what are your takeaways? Yeah, uh, again, a great question, Chad. And I think, you know, it's been interesting and now the third year in a row that I've conducted this study with uh, my co-author, uh, Dr. John Chan, who's based in Sydney. And, you know, each year there is this increase that we're seeing. You know, burnout has been researched as a topic, as a workplace phenomenon for 50 years now. We have a, a World Health Organization definition since 2019. We have an incredible body of research and data to show that the causes of workplace burnout are cultural, they are the responsibility of the workplace, and they are often systemic. And yet there is this very pervasive belief that burnout is actually the fault of the individual to the point where, you know, I speak sometimes to groups of thousands of people about burnout, and I still feel that genuine surprise when I say to people, burnout's not your fault. 
Burnout is your body and mind's intelligent response to chronic workplace stress. And so this dissonance, I think this idea that we have that there's this kind of incredible body of research out there showing us that it's workplace issues. And yet we focus so much, I think, on individual solutions because, well, partly because burnout happens to individuals and partly because changing systems is tough. And I think for leaders, you know, it really does take a very courageous um, and sort of, you know, fiercely driven leader, I think, to really start to look at some of these fundamental cultural shifts that need to take place in organisations and at societal level even for us to really shift the needle on burnout. Well, absolutely. And, you know, to your point, this this very morning, I, I wake up, the very top of my feed on LinkedIn is a message from Gary V on burnout. And do you know Gary V? I mean, mm-hmm. are you familiar? Yep. His messaging around burnout was interesting to me. He was like, if you're feeling burned out, take a week off. And then he said, or maybe like point number two, take a month off. The I, but he then said, but you, when you come back, you still have to work hard. He said, and the idea is to find the joy in your, find the joy in what you're doing, but you still, and then there was one more reminder at the end, but you still have to remember that you're going to have to work hard. And, and so I guess, you know, I think that he really does want to make sure that his audience knows he's not being soft mm-hmm. and that he's saying, you're still going to have to work hard. So I guess, you know, I'm just kind of, sometimes it feels like maybe there's not a lot of nuance to this conversation because it is complex because it does have to do with individuals and it does have to do with culture. What, what are your thoughts on some of this? Yeah, look, it's a really, again, it's, it's sort of, there's no easy fix to burnout and it's a complex discussion, which is why as soon as we start to talk in sort of black and white terms, it kind of, I already immediately have a response of, mm, if that solution existed, we'd be fine by now. You know, I think if we, if you have a poisoned lake, for example, you have toxic water in a lake and you take the fish out for a week and you put them in healthy water and then you put them back into the toxic lake, they're going to get sick again. And I think there's a similar concept that we can apply when it comes to burnout. You know, I advise clients, I advise organizations, uh, you know, uh, at an individual level, if you feel like you're under a lot of chronic stress and if you have that capacity, let's face it, it's also a privilege to be able to take a week or a month off take time because your physiology is probably fried. Your brain is going to start to get affected sooner or later. Your, your entire physical, mental, emotional, even spiritual health is jeopardized. Take a break for sure. But I think to expect then without some kind of shift in that environment, in that culture that you're going back to, it is a lot to ask of an individual to somehow be sufficiently resilient to endure those circumstances. Yeah, and, and you detail it well and you know, and with a lot of vulnerability and just straightforward truth-telling about your own burnout story uh, in your book, which uh, re- Relight the Spark, which I've been uh, you know, interested in, in reading going through. And you do hit, you hit a lot of the standard highlights that we would expect, hey, what is burnout? Let's define it. And, and again, you, you tell your story and you start to identify causes of it. So you deal with the complexity of the issue. 
And, and I really like, I really like that. I think one thing that you point out that I'd like, I, I think more people should know is that, and in turn also about the nuance of this conversation is that sometimes it's the hardest workers who are burning out. And it's also those in the helping professions you you alluded to. Um, it's been around for 50, we've known about it for 50 years Herbert Freudenberger, he was the very first one in like, I think 1971 to use the term burnout. And he was working for grinding 14, 15 hours mm. a day. And I think simultaneously on the other coast in California, Christina Maslach was beginning to write about burnout yep. as well. And you're right. We finally like got the, got who finally defined it in 2019 as an actual symptom. And they, they, they just categorized it in the workplace. Um, but like, what do we, how do we message like burnout is something that I guess most people just don't recognize that it often happens to the people who think they can take it and just grind and work the hardest. It's interesting because it's something that I try to sort of drive home subtly and sometimes not so subtly when I speak with groups, particularly, you know, I'm a former finance lawyer, as you know, I work with a lot of these, in a lot of these professions, doctors, um, in the medical field. There are so many people who are highly capable, highly intelligent and often come from a background of being highly rewarded for achievement. So there's quite a lot of sort of external motivating factors around them. And then they enter into these fields that are also, you know, there's a lot of contingency of uh, any kind of recognition will be contingent on you performing pretty much perfectly. So it's kind of set up for, to some extent, for people who are not only highly intelligent, but also for whom their work forms an incredibly big part of their identity. You know, I think that's certainly something. Great that, point. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've seen the shift across many societies in the last 30 to 40 years away from perhaps, and I don't want to, you know, overstate how brilliant it was by any means, but, you know, we've, we're, we've really shifted into this uh, hustle culture. We venerate work. We worship those who work, you know, 80, 90 hours a week as being something exceptional, exceptional and to be strived towards. So, this is the way our society thinks about work. You know, a lot of us will skip, you know, a birthday party or something. And if we say we have to work, everyone's like, sure, fine. Like, you know, no one questions that. It's so and true. I think, yeah. And I think that's, thank you. <laughs> I think it's, it's part of the reason that we sort of buy into this idea that, that this is not only good, but this is highly desirable. In fact, mm -hmm. you know, and, and this is indeed what it, what it means to be successful and I think that's why, you know, I'm really grateful that after after my burnout, I finally really started to question what success meant to me and what my values were and how I wanted my life to look. Um, because these are questions that were not really posed in uh, in our education system. And yet they are so crucial in allowing us to, you know, create and to experience sustainable careers. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's almost this like prestige. It's mm. like if like, to your point of if I have to miss the birthday party because, well, I, you know, I'm sorry. It's I'm just so busy exactly. making money, mm -hmm. you know, having it all. Um, and it and well, it, and also it strikes me that like here I am on, you know, more or less the East Coast, East, Eastern time zone and in the United States, you're in the Netherlands, and it just seems like we're we're in the same water culturally. Mm -hmm. The things that you describe in your book, 
are things that I I've written about in in my burnout book and that, mm. that Ellie and I, you know, together with the big self, like we're just talking about. So I don't know how pervasive you, you see it as, but it does. It's amazing to me. I, I wonder just how global and international an issue this is. It's, it's a really great question. You know, I was actually in California when I wrote both of my books on burnout. Mm. So, and I really did derive, you know, a lot of the literature, literature is us focused um, but I went through my burnout in the Netherlands. And uh, while I'm not an expert on that sort of comparative cultural component of, of burnout, there right. are certainly different, you know, sort of nuanced differences that I think each culture will bring to it. You know, one of my sort of anecdotal experiences was after living in London and working in central London uh, at a bank and working sort of, you know, easily 80 hours a week, uh, along with all of my colleagues, Coming to the Netherlands, I first worked at a, at a Dutch law firm and I actually found that there was um, some somewhat healthier boundary setting in that situation. I then shifted to an uh, English law firm at its Amsterdam offices and there the, the culture was once again sort of more um, just workaholic. But And this is anecdotal, you know, it's I, I, I talk a lot with Australians, with Europeans, people around the globe really, and it's something that I think... Um, partly because of digitalization and the way that technology has sort of infiltrated almost everyone's lives, um, that it's something that I think is, 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 you know, we could almost describe as a, as a pandemic at this point. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, thanks for like trying to think it through with me. Uh, I do, I do know that like towards the end of your book, besides just defining it and experiencing it, you, you, you talk about how to evolve after burnout, which I think does provide some, some interesting nuance and ways to get into a bigger self. Um, could you share with your audience some of the ideas that you were sharing around evolving after burnout? Yeah. And I'd love to hear your feedback on it, of it like with your own expertise. And I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on it. The way I frame it is as a, an evolution that can happen after burnout. Because I think if we, and, you know, I'm a former lawyer, so I do get really nerdy about definitions. And I think if we think of recovery as returning to a former point, we don't want to go back to the place that got us into burnout. We want to use this information, this experience to be able to grow, to evolve, and even sort of bring ourselves to a higher, maybe bigger self <laughs> so that we cannot go through that experience again. And the four steps uh, that I outline are the word burnout without the vowels. So B is breathe and movement. So really engaging our parasympathetic nervous system through breath, through movement to be able to start that physiological healing process. The second is R for rest to restore. So yes, if you can take time, get the heck away from work for a while and also build some rest into your every day, every single opportunity, even if it's 30 seconds of deep breathing while your coffee percolates. <laughs> um, and is the nourish. And by that, I mean, not just what we eat and drink, but also what we consume, whether that's information, whether that's social media, the kind of people we surround ourselves with, even the environment in which we live. So how do we nourish body, mind, and soul? And then T is for talk. And to my mind, Chad, this is actually probably the most important step because to talk about burnout, to talk about what we're going through is a really core component. We can't change what we don't acknowledge. And through acknowledging that we're struggling, uh, whether that's with a, a loved one, a trusted friend, perhaps a therapist or a coach, 
you know, seeking that help and that support is essential. I don't think anyone really can truly heal from burnout alone. It's, it's a team effort. And that's, I think, also kind of the first place to start, to start reach out and then build that plan to move forward. I'm curious which, whether that sort of modality resonated for you, what, what stood out. Oh, I totally loved that framework. Yeah, I, I like it a lot. You know, it's uh, we we just talked on a couple of episodes ago with um, a brand new book came out called The Micro Stress Effect by Rob Cross and Karen Dillon, and they they did this massive uh, study. And one of the main conclusions of battling it is to engage in communities and not just mm. just hop back in there and keep on grinding and. I guess, you know, it's so true. And obviously the data bears it out from a long time ago, but it's almost like becoming this novel thing to us again. We're like, yeah, we, we should like, we should have community. You know? Yeah, <laughs> completely. Like always done. I think, you know, the, the narrative that has prevailed for so long is I have to do it by myself. I'm weak if I ask for support. It's so true. Yeah. And it's like this, this, this idea, there is no such thing as a self-made man, woman, person. It just doesn't exist. We are everything, all of the technology we're currently, currently using to have this conversation. I didn't make it. I don't think you, you know, this is, we need other people to function in life. And I think the more deeply we can lean into that to allow ourselves to be supported, to show our true selves to one another, uh, it's 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 life changing, honestly, and I think it's a really beautiful experience both for the person who's expressing and the recipient. Recipient, and I'm not saying that we should share everything. I don't believe yeah. in you know trauma bombing at work or anything of that ilk. <laughs> but but yeah. simply simply starting to build that capacity to maybe be a little bit more vulnerable, not just snapping back with the yeah. fine when we're asked how you're doing or busy when we're asked how we're doing. Right. Thinking a little bit more nuance about how we're really doing. You're, uh, you're naming, uh, just such a myth that we live in, um, that I'll, it's weak to ask for help when actually it is literally the opposite. It takes courage and strength to be vulnerable enough to say, I actually do need help. Um, and it is, you're right. Like not a single person who says, I did it all myself. There just isn't a person alive that who that actually literally did do it all by themselves. Yeah, if they're saying that they're lying to themselves, that's a that's yeah, at least it's to just themselves. It's not true. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, the last thing, I mean, so and I know you do some values exploring, and and I'm just going to be honest. I've been thinking about. I know knowing our values is supposed to help be clarifying. But I, I do, I'm trying to think of like a creative way to, to get to like a, a real, like how do we really know what our values are other than like picking them from a list, mm. you know, and a lot of values, including us, we've done values exercises and we're like, sometimes we give a list of 33 possibilities and sometimes 150 or whatever, yeah. but, you know, and I know some people are like, well, go to your original values when you were a kid, but I don't yeah. know. Nah, my original values when I was a kid were like M&Ms, dogs, and playing outside. I mean, that was, you know, that's really right. not. I think, you know, the process that I like to guide people through is 
you know, values are like the heavy lifting. You don't just go straight for those big weights. So I like mm. to do some warming up, some limbering up as it were with questions like who are your role models? You know, who are the people that inspire you? What are some of the peak moments in your life and what makes them peak moments? Um, you know, and these kind of examples to kind of get us like thinking, get the juices flowing about who we are, what matters to us. Uh, another question I really like to ask is like, imagine you're at a cafe and you're sitting next to someone and they're describing their life and all you can feel is envy, like, oh my God, I want that person's life. <laughs> and it's it's not money in cars, it's, it's something about how they're living. So these are the kind of exercises I think that get the juices flowing. So then when we, when we look at that list, um, I've seen it also with groups. When I work with groups, it's incredible how quickly people can start to identify those, the values that really resonate for them. And then, you know, for me, it's something that I check in with my values on a weekly basis. Wow. I look at, yeah. That's, like, that's, I look impressive. At that's very disciplined. Are you afraid that they're going to kind of get away from you? Or like, like, do you, you just want to make, it's like almost like a, a journaling or a meditation exercise. It, it kind of is. It's often on a Sunday and I'll identify which value feels most resonant for the week ahead. Um, and it'll be tiny things, Chad, I'm not talking about, you know, massive life changing directions that I take. Often it's mm -hmm. a reflection on how have I lived my values recently and, and is there one that maybe could use a little bit more attention? And it's not that they need to be five stars all the time, but just kind of staying tuned to that really helps me, you know, just stay connected with that authentic sense of self that um, has been my guiding light, you know, since I went through my own evolution after burnout. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Uh, that that's, and so you began recognizing that's been part of your evolution. Uh, how long ago could you give our audience a little context? When did you, when did you just jump ship? And I know that you've, you, you're really happy and you're, you're fulfilled now, um, having left that challenging grinding world about how long has this been, um, since you yeah. jumped, jumped off? It feels like yesterday, but it's been 13 years now. So I okay. collapsed, collapsed at an airport in January 2010, and it's now coming up to mid-2023. So it's been, you know, it's been a long journey. Um, and it is one that, you know, I'm really, I'm really grateful for. I think there's been a lot of learning that's come out of it for me. And I do also want to say that, you know, for people listening, it's not, I, I, finance lawyer and law and it is the best decision I've ever made in my life without exception for a lot of people including people that I work with staying in their profession is absolutely the right decision you know mm -hmm. after burnout or in times of stress mm -hmm. so I wouldn't necessarily advocate you know moving to Morocco to become a yoga teacher which I did or then moving to <laughs> Portugal to lead meditation retreats which I did you know this is not everyone's path but it's been mine and it's been amazing well, those two locations right there sound pretty amazing. Uh, way to go! Way to live like you know, like following your desire, and yeah, that does sound exciting. But you're right; that is what we tell a lot of folks too. That pretty much like ninety percent of people who are struggling, maybe languishing, maybe on some spectrum of burnout. Mm -hmm. You know, we're like, you don't have to jump ship completely. That's not necessarily why you're you're burning out. So no, exactly. And I think there is a lot we can do, particularly if we are in a leadership role. And if we do have, if we're not, if we're in complete burnout, that's another thing. But for the, those of us who are not, when we can start to have conversations that maybe start to increase psychological safety in the workplace, opening up a little bit, 
and, 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 and identifying, you know, what's really actually causing me deep chronic stress here. And if you have receptive leaders, that can actually be a conversation that really changes your organization. And that's, that's incredibly powerful. So there's definitely no, and this I think is sometimes the challenge, there's no one size fits all when it comes to you know, evolving after burnout or in fact to burnout prevention. But, you know, I think it's, it's a really important conversation and, and it starts with, it starts with opening the conversation. That's right. And we're having it. And let me ask you one, one more question just about, you know, it doesn't, depending on how you answer it to me, does not mean that you are an optimist or a pessimist, but I'm just kind of curious, you know, it was, it was over 10 years ago, you were in a grinding burnout culture, the pandemic's happening. And the global report says, (laughs) you know, the latest data is that there is nothing but more epidemic happening right now. I want to be hopeful too, but do you see any shifts happening? Um, yeah, look, it's like, I love the question, Chad. And I describe myself as a realistic optimist. So uh, there's like, you know, ground, grounded with feet, with feet in reality, but also with my eyes on the horizon. I really do believe that there are some really good indicators, uh, including things like the number of people who are working with coaches and therapists these days. Uh, and a shift in, you know, that, that those numbers are increasing. And I think to me, that feels really powerful. If we have thousands of people who are earlier and earlier in their career asking questions and answering questions about who they are, what matters to them, what do they want their career to look like? This can actually, I think, shift their traje- trajectory away from burnout and one that does sort of form a sustainable path. And when we have people who are not burning out in leadership roles, they then I think real systemic change is possible. It's not going to be, you know, an overnight thing, but I really do see that tracking in a positive direction. I think we're also seeing it in things like shifts to the four-day week, you know, the, the work of Joe O'Connor and the Work, uh, work Time Reduction Centre of Excellence and all of the four-day week organisations around the world. There is a huge interest in that. And I think that's a really beautiful lens for courageous leaders to use if they want to kind of shift their workplace to, to re- redesign it to be much more, uh, burnout proof. That's a really great way of, of of addressing it. And there's loads of support out there for organizations who are looking for that shift. So yeah, I realistically, it's going to take time, but optimistically, I, I think there's going to be some great things ahead. What a cool answer. I, I love that. Uh, well, thank you. It is so good to meet you. And hey, to the audience, Sally had no idea the questions I was going to ask her. So you just, you fielded them. What, what a champ. Why don't you tell the world where they can find you, Sally? Tell them about your podcast. And, oh, yeah. And Thank you're, you. you're very visible. So I know that they know if they just Googled you, they could find you. But tell them some places you'd like them to, to yeah. find you. I'm not Sally Clare. There's this a baker in London called Sally Clare. That's not me. Unfortunately, I cannot bake. But I do okay. write and publish uh, a lot about burnout um, at my own website, which is uh, salcla.com. I'm also co-director at an amazing organization called Human Leaders, and we work with companies to really shift culture so that people and business can thrive. Um, and we host uh, the We Are Human Leaders podcast. And, you know, similar to you, Chad, I think it's really seeking out beautiful, enlightening conversations that really, you know, shift, push things forward uh, in organizational change. Well, that's great. It's that's great stuff. We'll definitely share it in the show notes. And just what a delight to, to have you visit with us. Thank
thank you so much for your time, Sally. I've had an absolute blast. Thank you so much, Chad. We are all about big ideas and how to integrate them to live a more sustainable life, to open up your learning, level up your self-awareness and consciousness, and move from surviving to thriving to flourishing. And I think what Sally Clark is helping us to understand is that burnout is complex, but it's not the individual problem that so many of us still seem to believe it is. It's also certainly a cultural problem. We don't have to accept the illusions that our culture collectively buys into, but it is a choice. We can continue to suffer through it, armored up, defended, ready to keep coping and grinding, or we can submit and commit to a deeper understanding. And part of that process comes from getting in touch with our most fundamental values and tracking our alignment with them on a regular basis. And if you wanna continue in that work or begin that work, you know where to find us at bigselfschool.com where we offer one-to-one coaching as well as trainings and workshops for organizations big and small. Here's to seeing you on our next episode of The Big Self Show.